At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Coming up on episode 240 of Wheel Bearings, we've got the Lucid Air, the Nissan Aria, Honda Passport, Volvo XC40 Recharge, the Lotus Electre, Stellantis's new Hurricane engine, the Mazda CX-50, and a whole bunch of questions. Did you know you can support Wheel Bearings directly? Head to patreon.com slash wheelbearingsmedia and you can become a patron today. Your contributions will help fund the platforms and tools we use to bring the podcast to you and exclusives and improvements are already on the way thanks to your generosity. So if you want to be part of an automotive podcast like no other, head to patreon.com slash wheelbearingsmedia. This is episode 240 of Wheel Bearings. I'm Sam Abruel-Sandwich from Guidehouse Insights. And I am Roberto Baldwin from Wired. And Cole is in transit right now from an airplane to a hotel in Encinitas. Um, and she will be joining us uh, hopefully in progress uh, sometime sometime before we're finished saying all the stuff that we're going to say. I hope so. she slides in with, like, breaking news. She's like, I'm just, just in, guys. <laughs> uh, maybe she'll spill some embargoed information about the uh, Toyota BZ4X, which I drove yesterday. Dun, dun, dun. Uh, and uh, we'll, we'll be talking more about that in probably two weeks, two weeks from now. And we've got, we've got a whole bunch of embargoed drive impressions coming up. It's like right now, this, this past two weeks, it seems like at least a dozen automakers were doing various drive programs all on top of each other and, you know, all with various embargo dates. Yeah, I've been to... Oh, I should talk about the Aria this week. Yeah, I went to... Oh, okay. <laughs> I should write down things I'm going to talk about. But yeah, it's it's been a it's been a crazy past few weeks, and I still got two more weeks of insane travel with embargoed cars and and events and drives. And I think you know the the second the Omicron 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 whatever. Yes. Yeah, like everybody paused for a couple of months during Omicron, and now they're they're trying to get everything in before the end of the quarter. Yeah, they're just packing everything in. So there's, that, and, and during any week, there's up to like five programs. I, <laughs> you're just like I can't. And everyone's in my. Hey, can you go to our program? Can you go to our program? I'm like I can't. I can't go to every program. Yeah. Like, I'm. I'm sorry. Please I know, spread I, them I out. I had to pass on a couple of them as well. Please, please spread them out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> May All and right. June are just ripe for. There's just like one or two programs there. Throw some over there. Yeah. Toss a couple in there. Well, there's 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 more going to be more stuff coming in May and June too. The yeah, uh, the F one fifty Lightning we're going to get to drive in first the week Lightning. of May. 
And then uh, after that, the Cadillac Lyric. and Something's happening in June. Well, Lyric is probably going to be either later in June or early July. They said early summer. Right. Uh, they started production last week, officially. Yeah, I saw and, that. Nice. And so uh, sometime late spring, early summer, they'll do the drive. But right now we've got stuff we can talk about. We can't talk that, about those yet because that, they haven't happened. But what did you drive? So, uh, so it's been. A, I feel like it's been a few weeks since I've been on the podcast because I think I was out one week, and, and then well, there was last, a, last and week then there I was the crazy week. And pieces episode. Yeah, then there was a week of like because everyone was out. So, uh, so I've driven a bunch of cars, but I'm going to talk about two, and one of them is the Lucid Air Dream Edition Performance. Mm. This is the 1,111 horsepower. Uh, insane uh, Lucid Air. Um, it is uh, it is it is a very nice car. Um, I drove it around the Bay Area. I had it for uh, about a week or so, I believe. Um, and yeah, it's it's really nice inside. It's comfortable. I know that there was this desire to build a vehicle that rivals uh, the luxury vehicles of germany mm-hmm. they were just going right after the german sedan that's the, they're taking aim at, at bmw mercedes and audi and i think for the most part in their own way i think they've accomplished that i think they're the um i think when you look at like say the eqs which is probably its closest competitor the eqs has a, mo- a lot more bells and whistles that are going on in the vehicle as while you're in there well it has and, a hyper screen yeah and it has the hyper screen um <laughs> I think the Lucid is a it's 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 a you know focusing on Germany but taking a lot of uh, uh, pages out of the Swedish uh, design philosophy of sort of less is more. Mm-hmm. Um, there are if you get into the 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 infotainment system, there's a lot of things you can adjust with that car. There's just a ton of of settings. It's you know so you're you're not like sort of you know kept from the vehicle. You're, you're still a lot you can do, but on the surface. It's very nice. It's very clean, um, and it's very very fast. <laughs> oh, uh, I, I can I can attest to that. Yeah, so I, I had so, a chance to drive one briefly as well. So just like tapping on the accelerator, it's like wow. And so I've, you don't get the one thousand one hundred eleven horsepower until you put it in sprint mode, and then you put it in um, launch control. The problem is, is that, and I think we've seen this uh, recently with someone doing that on a Tesla on a hill because they're idiots mm-hmm. and those people shouldn't be allowed to drive ever. Um, and then all the people standing around just like letting that happen. Like no one said, hey, maybe don't. Um, so the, the, the issue with that is trying to find a location in order to test that. So there's a place, there's a few places near my house where I can, but I have to wait till night. So I end up finally testing it at night on a slight uphill. So... <laughs> and it was still, oh, yeah, it was it was sort of ridiculous. And a little bear pops up, a little blue bear, because yep. they're you know, out of California. And so that was, uh, I, I, that, I really that, enjoyed that. That is, that is their Easter egg that they have kind of all over the car. Yeah, there's, the little bear. Little, little bears. Yeah, so it's, it's you know, it's it's a, it's a, uh, it's a great car. Um, Lucid and I think Lucid and Rivian were the two companies that I really see, it really seemed like they were going to make it. They were going to. Of all the automotive, uh, auto, you know, startup, automotive startups, sorry, I've been running around all day. Um, those were the two that I thought would, would, would produce something, have something out, and then have it available for purchase. 
And they've both done that. Of course, Rivian's hitting problems with supply issues, and you know everyone's having these supply issues. Um, so we'll see what happens. It, it seems kind of unfair that these two companies that seem to be doing every, mostly everything correctly are now being sort of punished or, or having these difficulties because of this very weird situation where even, you know, folks, everyone's having problems with this. But when you're a small company and you're making one car, you can't, like, sort of spread out the hurt on a bunch yep. of different vehicles. You're just sort of hurt. So we'll, we'll see. So, um, yeah, so we... Uh, drove it around. Uh, you know, the the range edition has 520 miles of range, which, I mean, Tesla for years has been sort of the king of range, and now Lucid comes along and says, "No, nah, that's cool." I mean, <laughs> and, and it helps that like most of the Lucid engineers are former Tesla engineers, and, and the gentleman who and in, Peter, including who, their CEO, <laughs> yeah, who was who was the man who made the Model S work, <laughs> yeah. literally. Um, so the the performance edition has a range of 471 miles. I had the 21-inch wheels, so it had a range of 450-ish. Um, and then uh, during my range run, um, I had a little bit north of 400 miles. So I didn't quite hit the 451. Um, again, though, the, the problem is, is is that I got a little... There's back roads on my 100-mile loop that I use for EVs. And I kind of, you know, went a little fast on the back roads. Uh, so... <laughs> Which, you know, it's not the cardinal. But again, it, you know, it's beating Tesla not just because, you know, they're very efficient, but it's also got a 118 kilowatt hour battery where Tesla's right. is 100 kilowatts, kilowatt hours. So, you know, so they, they, yes, it has more range than Tesla, but it also has a larger battery. Uh, but, you know, they work really hard. Over, they've been working really hard over there to, um, to, to fix their efficiency. And if you don't have $169,000 um for the uh dream edition don't worry because a it's sold out uh b um eventually they will have the uh pure edition which is hold on i'm gonna find the price i believe it's, it's uh, like 78 uh, and change yeah seventy eight thousand dollars, and it has 406 miles of range so still a lot of range under a hundred thousand dollars for uh a uh a a a a competitor to the luxury market um, far more luxurious than, say, a Model S. I think I called the Model S luxury adjacent. Um, yeah. But, well, uh, yeah. Yeah, uh, last week, uh, as we record this, uh, yeah, it was last week? No, the week before. Um, <laughs> I was uh, I was invited to interview Peter Rawlinson, the CEO of Lucid, and he's also the CTO and, and the, <clears throat> the aforementioned former chief engineer of the Model S, um, on stage at South by Southwest, and one of the topics we talked about was, was efficiency, uh, and their their real focus on efficiency in this thing, um, and the uh, you know, he he did mention he did say, he did tell me that the the pure will be uh, going into production this fall, so it'll be available before the end of this year. Uh, but you were talking about you know supply chain problems you know and Rivian having difficulty building cars and delivering or d building trucks and delivering them, um, and Peter said you know the same thing you know there's a few a few key components that they're having a hard time getting enough of to uh, to to ramp up their production, which is a you know a real challenge and because they are a smaller automaker you know, when when you've got you know, automakers are buying parts for hundreds of thousands or millions of vehicles, and you're looking to buy parts for thousands to tens of thousands of vehicles a year. 
you're going to the 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 company that is buying parts for millions is going to get priority. They're going to be first in line for those parts, and so you know they've been working to in some cases resource some of those parts, you know, so they can get their production ramped up. Um, you know, they think like they've delivered about 500 errors so far. Um, and you know, they're, they're looking to get that up, you know, into, um, eventually to a, about 30,000 a year from their current production capacity in, at their factory in Arizona. Um, I have a question for you though. Uh, yeah. You know, before before I did the interview, I had the opportunity to take take an Air Dream Edition performance out for about an hour or so uh, for a drive. It was my uh, I had first seen this thing back in November 2016 um, when Peter and Derek Jenkins, their head of design, were at the LA Auto Show. They weren't publicly displaying anything, but they were doing some background briefings, and so we spent about an hour and a half back then going through all all the things they were doing. And, um, you know, then they, uh, they did a VR walk, design walk around. And then we went down in the garage and saw the first prototype that they had down there. Um, and when, uh, one of the things, um, you know, that, that uh, was interesting about this design, you know, is that you mentioned you're targeting Mercedes. On the outside, you know, this thing has about the physical footprint of a Mercedes E-Class. But on the inside, it has the passenger volume of an S-Class, which is a considerably larger car. Um, and one of the things I noticed getting into this one, the, uh, especially into the, the driver's seat, the front pillars are really sloped back. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's a very aggressive slope on those. And I had to duck quite a bit to get my head under, under there and get into the car. And you're you're several inches taller than I am, you know. How was it for you getting in and out of this thing? Um, I don't remember any real issues getting in and out of it. Actually, I mean, I just I, I'm used to driving. I mean, I have a B. I drive a BRZ. Yeah. So I'm just I'm used to just like taking this very large body and squishing it down really small. Yeah. <laughs> and then getting into something. So I don't I don't remember uh, any like hitting my head or anything. Um, I do know that even with uh, with the seat set for me at six foot three. I could get in the back seat and still have lots of room. And yeah. that rear door opens at a 90-degree angle, so it's super easy to get in and out of that, um, that rear seat. So if you, you know, you're, you're being driven around, it's, it's, you're, there's a lot of room back there, and it's way easy to get in. Yeah, no, absolutely. That, that, that is very true. Um, yeah, I mean, this, this is a stunning-looking car, and when, and when you get in it, it feels like a luxury car. It, it doesn't feel ostentatious. But it feels very, very premium, much more so than any Tesla ever has. Oh yeah, it's very, it's classy. Yeah, <laughs> it's very classy. Um, yeah, everything about it just feels very nice. It doesn't feel minimalistic for the for the sake of like saving money. It feels, it feels more like this is a design, this is a design decision for the entire car, and but you're still going to have a lot of information if you need it, and if you're the kind of person who wants to like adjust every single tiny, teeny tiny thing on the car you can. And I, I like that they have, um, you know, tried to find a good balance between touch controls and uh, physical controls. So, you know, there's a row of switches. There, there's that um, screen in the center console. So you've got the, the large screen across the top of the dash. You know, there's actually three displays in there. Um, 
you know, that spans from the A pillar on the driver's side over across the middle of the, the instrument, across the instrument, across the middle of the dashboard. And then down below in the center stack, there's another touchscreen down there, which you can actually tap and it, I think you showed it in your, in your video, you know, it actually will pull up into the dashboard. So it's out of the way if you're not using it. Uh, but above that, you know, just below the vents, um, there's a row of switches for the climate control. So, you know, you, it's always there. You don't have to mess around with digging through menus to find your climate controls. They're, they're always accessible. Climate control buttons to me and, and volume buttons are the things that I feel like should continue to yeah. be physical buttons because I, 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 I think people are like, well, I just send it to like this temperature. I'm like, I am always adjusting the climate controls yeah. and I'm always adjusting the audio, the, the, you know, how loud things are. Um, and so, yeah, those, those having those available as, as actual physical buttons where I can just reach over and use them instead of like, oh, let me use my finger and do this. And yeah, it's, it's, it's a much nicer experience as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. All right. Um, so what else did you drive? I went all the way to Spain, España, and I drove the Nissan Aria on a track. So, so a you went to Spain to drive a new Japanese EV. I went to Spain to drive a Japanese EV on a track, not on a road. Uh, these are pre-production vehicles. Um, I'm sure there's a lot of reasons why it happened in Spain. It doesn't, it doesn't really matter. I drove the Nissan Aria <laughs> on a track in Spain. What they did, it wasn't like they didn't set up the track, so it's you know it, this vehicle is not a uh, it's 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 not a Model Y performance. Uh, Nissan was very uh, said this is not a missile. This is not a you know this is a a nice SUV. And I'm going to tell you, it's mainstream. Really, yes, it is really nice inside that car. I think they 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 took um, a lot of time and care to make sure that it differentiates itself from the rest of that sort of market of the midsize SUV with an interior that's really really nice. They have this this little lantern. Uh, they have a lot of uh, it's like almost like crosshatch like little triangles. Mm-hmm. that are, are integrated into the design and they are uh, inspired by Japanese lanterns. In fact, they're like in the footwell in the middle is like a little, you know, it's a square with that sort of triangle design, that tight triangle design. It looks like a little lantern in the car. <laughs> and so there's all these like, it's very, yeah, I, I, I was really impressed because for the most part, Nissan interiors are sort of like, well, there it is. That's what it is, you know. And I think they've really, when it, when it comes to that, they've really said, you know what, we need to have something. Because they're not, I hate saying people are late to the EV world. Um, because, it's again, it's not a sprint, it's a marathon. Everyone's going to have an EV. Yeah. And right now we're, well, and, we're still... And arguably pretty, Nissan was first. Yeah, they had the least. With a volume EV. Yeah, they had the number one selling EV in the world for a very long time. Mm-hmm. And then they didn't make anything else. <laughs> At least nothing um, that they brought to North America. Exactly, and so we, so we, so it's, it's actually it's a really nice car. Um, I drove it around the track. It it drives well. Um, it's you know it's hard to like really judge how well it does. Uh, you know when you're on a track, it's like here's some cones to recreate what it's like to drive in a city, and here's a cone, like you know to here's a chicane, and here's here's what a what a roundabout would be like. And it's like okay, and so I drove it a, a, around this track a, t- a ton of times. Um, it, it handles pretty well. Um, they have they didn't have an, an Aria with their new E-Force with an F. The F has been replaced by a 4. 
Nissan yeah. E-Force, their all-wheel drive system. They did let us drive a Nissan Leaf that had this system. And um, it was interesting because the way the system works, it's not, you know, everyone has, at this point, everyone has some sort of all-wheel drive system. But this one, like, it, the way it balances out the car was very interesting. Like, there's not a lot of diving when you when you when you slow down as you would have in a regular all-wheel drive vehicle. It's 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 something that you almost have to. And I hate to say they're, this. So like, they're adjusting the torque on the front and rear motors. Yeah, to, and it's to the minimize same the motor. weight transfer. Yeah, and it's the same motors on the front and the back. So typically you have a much more powerful motor on the back and then a less powerful motor on the front. They're using they're going to use the same size, the same power motors. Uh, both front and back on the vehicle, which is interesting. And they're like, yeah, it'll be a 50-50, you know, um, power balance. And you're just like, oh, okay. And so it's 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 very interesting. Um, I'll, it'll be interesting to see what it's like on the actual Aria and then what it's like on the road. But it was like a it, it was like a really good appetizer of what's to come from them. And I and I I'm uh, I went over there not knowing what to expect. I I mean I know a lot of People really love the Nissan Leaf. Nissan Leaf's a good car. I just find it incredibly boring. And yeah. I think that they, uh, they, I don't know, I don't think they were listening to me, but I think they might have known that they need <laughs> something, uh, a little something extra to sort of break out of that mold, to break out of the Leaf and, be, and, and have something that people are going to look at and be like, oh, Maybe I should get a Nissan EV, and I think they're 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 definitely on the right on the right track. So so kudos to Nissan for that. Good. I'm looking forward to uh, to driving it later this year. You know, it, it it's launching in Japan this summer, and then um, going on sale in North America in the fall. Uh, so hopefully by the end of the year, we'll you know those will be available to customers here in, in the U.S. Yeah, they they told me that two wheel drive. I'm sorry, not two. <clears throat> yeah, two wheel drive. Uh, two-wheel drive version will be available in early fall, and then the E-Force all-wheel drive version would be avail- available in late fall. Okay. And I think that they're launching only with the extended range battery, which is going to be somewhere around 300-mile range. Yeah. <clears throat> and then yeah. they'll they'll launch the standard range version, which is going to be around 230, 240 miles um, sometime early next year. And that's that's the one that'll start around forty thousand dollars. The the others start around forty six, I think. Yeah, yeah. So it's still, uh, it, you know, it's right up there with like the Ionic Five, EV Six. Um, uh, how much is the Pulse? To, well, you just drove it here. We'll just yeah, ask the, you the XC Forty. The XC. Uh, the XC Forty is, or the C Forty, I should say, is uh, sixty thousand. It's like fifty nine, uh, fifty nine thousand, including delivery. All right. Um, and yeah, you know, I think it's it's a bit smaller than the Aria, but it's also crazy fast. Yes, it is. <laughs> Those things are so fast. Those the XC40 and the C40 are so like they're they're just like wow, they're gosh. surprising when you step on yeah. it. Yeah, you know, how quick they go. <laughs> they're just like yeah, we have the system from the Polestar too. We just threw it in here and go for it. Knock yourself out. You're like okay. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, um, for moving on for for those that are. Um, you know, not quite ready to make the jump to a full battery electric vehicle if you're not quite confident that, that it's going to meet your needs. Um, we also have plug-in hybrids that are available. And um, one of those, uh, actually Kia's got uh, several, a couple of them, several of them now, but one of those is the uh, Sorento plug-in hybrid, um, which was added to the, the, the new generation Sorento lineup, which launched in late 2020. Um, the plug-in hybrid was added last year. Um, and this is, 
yeah, it's using the same uh, basic uh, hybrid architecture that Hyundai Motor Group has been using for the past decade. Um, so it's a little different from the way Toyota does it. You know, Toyota's systems, their hybrid drive has two electric motors in there um, that they use for for balancing or you know, for doing the brake regenerative braking and and also for grounding the uh, planetary gear set uh, and it essentially gives you a, uh, an electronic continuously variable transmission system with those say goodbye to your credit card rewards greedy corporate mega stores led by walmart and target are pushing for a law in congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets the durbin marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it if you love your credit card rewards tell your lawmakers hands off my rewards tell them to oppose the durbin marshall credit card bill this is your invitation to a masterclass in engineering and design. Your ticket to go from zero to 60 with the Lexus Performance Line. A feeling this dynamic is invite only. Fortunately, you're invited. Experience the exhilaration of the Lexus Performance Line and some of the best offers of the year on select models at the Invitation to Lexus sales event, now through April 1st. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer motors and the gears that they have in there. Um, Hyundai Motor Group, which includes Hyundai, Kia, and Genesis, does a different approach, uh, which is more similar to what you find you know, from a bunch of other automakers, including Volkswagen, where the, uh, the motor uh, goes in place of where the torque converter would be on a conventional automatic transmission. So it's between the engine and the transmission. Um, no, no, torque, no torque converter. Uh, and then there's clutches on either side of the motor uh, and a conventional six-speed automatic gearbox. Um, and in the case of the, uh, the, the pre a lot of the previous um, hybrids and plug-in hybrids from Hyundai and Kia have used a naturally aspirated two-liter four-cylinder um, with that combination. Uh, for the Sorento, which is a bit bigger than some of the previous ones, they have swapped in uh, a version of the 1.6 liter turbo, uh, direct injected turbo that is widely used across the both of those brands' vehicle lineups. Uh, in this case, it generates 177 horsepower uh, and 195 foot-pounds of torque, so it's got really good broad torque uh, band. Um, and then they add in a, a 90 horsepower electric motor in there, um, and the um, the total, uh, the, the motor itself has 224 foot-pounds of torque from zero RPM. Uh, so you get a combined total when, you, when they're all blended together of 261 horsepower and 258 foot-pounds of torque, which is, is pretty good. You know, it's, it's, it's comparable to what you would get um, you know, with a V6 in many crossovers of this size. Uh, and you know, the overall performance is, you know, is more than adequate. It's, it's, it's quite quick. Um, the, uh, you know, they have the same basic setup with the hybrid and the plug-in hybrid. The main difference being the battery size. The plug-in hybrid gets a 14 kilowatt hour battery pack, um, which gives you, uh, an EPA rated, rated, uh, range estimate of 34 miles. Um, 
I when I was driving it, it was uh, or sorry, 32 miles. Um, when I was driving it, I went through my usual uh, drive loop that I do uh, with um, with plug-in vehicles, and I actually got it to go 34 miles before the engine kicked on. Um, and you know, with the amount of power, and particularly the amount of torque that uh, that this electric motor has, there is it's it's pretty easy to drive it on electricity alone. You know, you you don't have to you know be really, be really light-footed on it. Um, you can engage an EV-only mode, um, and you know the the power. You know, the 90 horsepower is not a huge amount, but the 224 foot-pounds of torque is more than enough for you know for your daily driving so the sorrento um you know is sort of upper mid-size uh crossover it's got a third row of seats trust me you don't really want to use them (laughs) just fold them down have a big giant cargo space in the back um you know because you you know unless you've got a couple of passengers back there with you know that have been amputated at the knees. Uh, you, they really don't want to sit back there. Um, but um, with the seat, with the the rear seats folded down, the third row seats folded down, you get lots of cargo space. Uh, it's a decent size. You know, it's a it's a it's nice and roomy. It's smaller than a Telluride, bigger than a Sportage or Sportage, as as uh, some people like to pronounce it. Sportage. Uh, and. Uh, the uh, for the plug-in hybrid variant, which unfortunately um, Hyundai and Kia, because they are supply constrained on the batteries, um, they only uh, offer the pl- the plug-in versions, the plug-in hybrid versions of their vehicles, in California and the other dozen or so states that mandate manufacturers have to sell a certain percentage of EVs. Um, so, for example, if you live here in Michigan. You can't go to a Kia dealer here and buy one. You would have to go to a Kia dealer in, you know, California or Colorado or somewhere in the Northeast and buy one and bring it back and, and then transfer the registration to Michigan. Um, but um, that said, if you do want one, the uh, starting price um, is forty six thousand. Uh, I think forty six thousand and change. Um, for the uh, the SX, uh, or sorry, forty five thousand one ninety, yeah, and then with the thirteen hundred or thousand um, dollar destination fee, you're you're a little over forty six thousand, um, and then there's also the SX Prestige, which adds adds a few a few more options for another couple of thousand dollars. Um, the one that I drove was an SX Prestige, um, pretty much loaded with everything. Uh, leather interior, you know, the Bose premium audio system, 12.3-inch digital instrument cluster, uh, perforated leather seats, you know, they're heated and cooled, um, all that all that good stuff. Uh, came to a grand total of $49,720, including uh, the delivery fee. Um, it's, as I said, you know, it's rated at 32 miles of electric driving range by the EPA, um, 79 MPGE. Uh, for combined driving, a typical combined driving cycle. Um, and if you drive it without plugging it in uh, and just use it as a regular hybrid, you'll get about 34 miles per gallon, which is you know, comparable to what you would get with uh, something like the uh, Toyota Highlander, uh, which is just slightly larger, um, but um, 
I think the the driving experience in this one because it and you know, because it uses a conventional you know step ratio automatic transmission the the driving experience feels better in this one it feels more natural you never get any of that motorboating effect that you get with mm-hmm. a CVT type of system um, and it, it feels nice to drive it's got a nice interior it's got sounds of nature um, and uh, it, it looks good <laughs> I love the sound or or Parisian coffee house yeah what, whatever you know walking through the woods a Parisian walking coffee house you know whatever. snow walking through the snow yeah stream babbling stream you know what whatever 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 turns you on you know it's all there um so uh and you know that is uh, continues to be a feature that is unique to hyundai and kia vehicles only uh so if if you appreciate that sort of thing um you know kia's got you covered with the uh, the sorrento plug-in hybrid um and they're at at the chicago auto show they announced the uh, sportage plug-in hybrid which will have the same powertrain in it um, and that's coming, I think, uh, later this summer. So um, there's, you know, there's an increasing number of options for people that um, want to go either fully or partially electric, you know, with a family-oriented vehicle. Um, I, you know, last time that we got together, I talked about the, uh, the Kia Carnival, which did not get anywhere near as good fuel economy as this thing does. Um, and I would be shocked if before too long Kia doesn't drop this uh, same powertrain into the Carnival because I think I think this would be a really good combination in the Carnival. You know, it's got similar overall performance, similar overall power to the uh, uh, to the V6 in the Carnival, um, and would get vastly better fuel economy and you know give you you know, 30 plus miles of electric driving, which for most people means that you can, you know, if you plug it in at night, you can do almost all of your daily driving without ever using any gas. You know, you might, you might only go, you know, go to the gas station, you know, every few months, uh, which when gas is, you know, upwards of six bucks a gallon as it is in California right now, uh, I'm sure that that would not bother you in the least. It would, so. Yeah, you know, you should be, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, let's move on to some other stories of the week. Um, let's start with the Lotus Electra. Electra. Yes, uh, I would. I would be curious to see um, what uh, Colin Chapman would think of this thing. I mean, I think there's the. You're always. I mean, it's it's an SUV. Let's yeah. just say that. So, and, you know, people got mad at Porsche when they put out an SUV. People got mad at Lamborghini because they put out an SUV. But you know what? Less, SUVs, they pay the bills. That's right. SUVs pay the bills because people want SUVs. Selling uh, Cayennes and Macans is what allows Porsche to continue selling 911s and yes. Boxsters. The fact that there is a 911, there is a there is a variant of 911 for every single person who's bought a 911. <laughs> Yeah. It's because of all the Macans and the Cayennes out there. And the the Urus is the best-selling Lamborghini ever made. That's just hands down. It's just like just money. It's just a, it's printing money for Lamborghini. And so yeah. they can make all the Huracans and Aventadors and whatnot. Or even, so, even yeah. restart the Aventador assembly line. You know, yeah, to, because a to, bunch of them to build 12, 12 Twelve more final edition cars. Twelve more. <laughs> the Replace guy's the like taking it apart. At the bottom of the Atlantic Ocean. Yeah. The guy who took it apart is just like, ah. Oh. 
Are you kidding me? <laughs> okay. So, so the, you know, the, the, the Electra, um, you know, in, in, in typical uh, Lotus fashion, the, the name's got to start with an E, and they, you know, had to kind of make it sound sort of electric, um, although the, the name apparently has a meaning, uh, which I'm, I can't find right now. Uh, but it says it's got the, re- the release, uh, you know, the bullet points at the top of the press release say, the soul of a Lotus with the usability of an SUV. But when I, when I first looked at the, the, photo of this, the photos of this thing, the, the first thing that actually um, came to mind, uh, looking, especially looking at the front, um, was that, uh, that uh, Lamborghini Urus that you mentioned. To, to me, there's a oh, lot of yeah. Urus in that yeah. front end. Yeah, there. Yeah, there is a. Yeah, <laughs> the back end though is very, very reminiscent of the, um, of the Avija, the the, the hypercar that the Avaya, the Avija, Avaya, whatever. Yeah, there's you know they're a British company. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> um, the Avaya, um, and so the back end is very much you know based on that that design that they showed off. But the front end, yeah, yeah, it's a little, it's a little Lamborghini-esque. Yeah. So um, this thing's got two electric motors um, uh, with somewhere upwards of 600 horsepower, um, 100 plus kilowatt hour battery pack, um, top speed of 161 miles an hour, zero to 60 in sub three seconds. Uh, and uh, a, a range uh, on the WLTP drive cycle, which is the one they use in Europe, of 373 miles. So that should, on EPA, it should put it you know a little over 300, probably around 310, yeah. maybe 315 on the EPA test, uh, which is, is pretty good. That's good. 800, 800 uh, volt system, I think. I know it yep. says three, 350 kilowatt. Yep. So uh, charging it, it, capability. So 800 volt, which I don't know why anyone's on eight. Why, why everyone's on 800 volt at this point? But sure. Why uh, well, it, it it does add cost. Uh, there there yeah. is a there is a cost associated with the components you need to do an 800 volt. If Hyundai system. can do it, if Hyundai can do it, <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Then I don't want to hear anyone else complaining about the cost. If Hyundai's like, yeah, yeah, we could do that. Well, I mean, we can't complain about Lotus. You know, they're they're doing it. That's true. Yeah, good job. And and uh, you know, Lucid Lucid all went all the way to nine hundred. Nine hundred. They're like, you know what? <laughs> I'm going to see your eight hundred. We're going to go to nine. <laughs> so uh, Lucid's like, we're going to. This one goes to eleven. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. So let's see. Does it say when this is going on sale? Um. I'm uh, not sure. Uh, one 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 thing about this, it has three lidar sensors as part of its uh, driver assist uh, suite, um, and they are the first of what they're referring to as deployable lidar. So there's one in each front fender, uh, just above uh, just above the front wheel arches, mm-hmm. and then another one above the windshield. And um, I Lotus currently is owned by uh, Geely, the Chinese. Automaker that also happens to own Volvo and Polestar and, and a whole bunch of other Chinese brands. And Volvo, uh, of course, uh, has a deal. They are using Luminar's Iris LiDAR. Um, it's hard to tell you know, from the, 
the I mean the the photos don't actually show the lidar, but the B-roll foot video that they supplied shows the lidars um, popping out from the sides when needed, um, and from the top, um, and they kind of look like luminar lidar, but we'll have to wait and see if that's what they actually are. Mm-hmm. It's just yeah, I mean the that uh that lucid had lidar on it. So yeah, yeah so we're seeing lucid. more and more actual cars with actual lidar coming out, being used, um, showing that having a redundant system is a good idea, is essentially yep. what it comes down to. Yeah, you, meant, you mentioned the 350 kilowatt charging. Um, Lotus is claiming that this will deliver 248 miles of range in just 20 minutes um, on a 350 kilowatt charger. If you can so. get it up that fast, that's the, yeah, that's the rub. That's, yeah, get it, it, it always is. I've taken, there's a 350 near my house that I have to, that I, all the 350s are like 30 miles, 40 miles from my house. So I have to yell at EA and tell them to put a 315 closer to me. Um, but, uh, yeah, like I was there yesterday with a car and it was doing the car it was 240. Anyway, it was, it was around 226 or something. It was pretty, it was, it was doing pretty good. It was like up there, like within three kilowatts today, it hit 200 for like a second and then the rest of the time, it was around 160. And I was just like, I'm on a, on a 350. I was like, come on. Yeah, come that's... On. This, this, yesterday, there, uh, when I was at the, uh, the BZ4X event, I was talking with uh, a couple of people that work on charging experience for EVs at Toyota. And I spoke at some length, complaining, saying, these are the things that you guys need to fix if you want EVs to be successful. You, you know, you've got to... You've got to get whoever your charging network uh, partners are to really make these things reliable, and you know have the vehicle set up so that it can, um, so you know so that it can charge as fast as it possibly can, and then also um, you know make sure that the the chargers are reliable. Yeah, I mean, there's there's all kinds of issues that need to be resolved with chargers, but that's that's one of the big ones is making sure that when you plug it in, it charges fast. Yeah, I mean, and that's that's the that's what that's the te- that's the killer app for Tesla still is the charging network. Of course, Tesla only has to like know one system, and that's their own system. Once Tesla decides to open up, then all the issues you see with EA, with EVGo, with ChargePoint, where sometimes the you know the software handshake doesn't work out so well, that's going to happen at Tesla because every single car that comes out has to be taken to their to whoever charging station. They have to figure out how it works. They got to tell the system, hey, this is a new car. This is how it charges this is how big the battery is this is how much power you guys send to it it's just this whole yeah it's like trying to plug in a different uh a bunch of different like let's say hard drives into your 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 macbook or your pc and it's just like every time there's like something a little bit different and so it has to like reconfigure it all right um let's see besides uh evs which we've been talking about it at some length today um, you know, a lot of automakers have talked about by the end of this decade, you know, at least here in North America, they're targeting getting to 50% of their sales being EVs. Ford has said this, GM has said this, Stellantis has said it, um, Volvo and others, you know, want to be, uh, want to be at least 50% EV sales in North America by the end of the decade. But of course, you know, in a market where that's normally about 17 million vehicles in the U.S. If you're selling 50% EVs, that still means you got about 8.5 million 
sales a year with internal combustion engines. And um, the regulations for emissions and fuel economy for those engines is not getting any easier. Um, and when you're the automaker that already ranks well at the bottom of the list for uh, corporate average fuel economy, which uh. is uh, Stellantis, uh, previously known as Fiat Chrysler, um, you know, in 2020, um, they were their corporate average fuel economy was about 21.8 miles per gallon. Um, and the next lowest one, uh, I can't remember, I think it might have been GM uh, or Ford, was like 23 plus. Um, so uh, Stellantis, you know, they, they want to sell half of their vehicles to be electric in 2030. Um, but they've got to make their ICE vehicles more efficient uh, in the meantime. So they are launching what will, in all likelihood, maybe be their last ever all-new internal combustion engine design. Um, it's going on sale. It's actually in production now. Uh, it's going to be arriving in vehicles over the next few months. Um, it's called Hurricane. Hurricane. And it's a three-liter inline twin-turbo six-cylinder engine. Um, so no V6, which, uh, you know, this has been speculated for some time, um, and now it's real. And the, the standard output version is going to do over 400 horsepower uh, and 450 foot-pounds of torque. And the high-output version will be over 500 horsepower and 475 foot-pounds of torque, uh, which, um, you know, if those, uh, if those numbers sound remotely familiar, that is um, in the same ballpark as the current 5.7 and 6.4-liter Hemi V8s. Um, so this, this thing is, in many applications, going to be replacing Hemi V8 engines um, over the course of the next year or so. So instead of saying, I got a Hemi, people are going to be like, I got a hurry. Yeah. <laughs> Hurricane. Yep. Yeah. That's what's going to be on the side of your cars, but everyone, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, some, some interesting stuff on this engine. Uh, it's, a, it's an all-aluminum block, but because it's a, a six, an inline six instead of a V6, you know, it's obviously longer than a V6 engine, uh, but they wanted it to be able to fit in the same package volume uh, where they currently have the V8 engines. Um, so in order to reduce the spacing between the bores, they um, opted to not have uh, iron or steel cylinder liners in there. Instead, they have what's known as uh, plasma transfer wire arc coating or spray bore coating in there, um, which is uh, something that was originally invented by Ford. <laughs> um but Ford was not actually the first company, the first automaker to put it into production. They didn't do it until 2010 on the GT500 um, when they went to an aluminum block on the GT500. The first company to use this in production was Nissan on the GTR. Uh, the, the GTR V6 uh, uses this technology, which uh, what it is, they, they have um, uh, a steel wire that gets heated up to about 4,500 degrees Fahrenheit or 4,150 degrees Fahrenheit, um, and then blown, and it, that when it's heated up that high, uh, it blows, it creates microscopic particles of steel that are deposited onto the, the cylinder walls. So you have a really thin layer of steel covering that aluminum that is actually has 10 times the wear resistance of a cast iron liner, uh, but it's a fraction of the thickness. So you can 
basically squish the whole engine down and fit it into the space of a V8. And lighter. And lighter, too. Because cast iron is like, I don't know, like an ounce is like, what, seven, eight hundred pounds? Yeah. (laughs) So... So this the six this new six cylinder, even though it's got you know twin turbos and intercoolers and everything on there, uh, it still comes out to be about sixty five pounds lighter than um, the corresponding V eight engines. Uh, so you got a lighter engine that's going to be about fifteen percent more fuel efficient, uh, make even a little bit more power, um, and uh, it's coming to um, to an assortment of Stellantis North American products only this year. Uh, it won't be used, so you won't see this in any uh, next generation Alfa Romeo, Julias, or Stelvios. It's not going to go into any products from Europe. Uh, it's only going to be used in North American products. Although some of them, some of those are exported. Uh, they they export Jeeps and and other stuff yeah. overseas, um, but it's only going to be going into vehicles that are built here. And in, in the vehicles you you would anticipate. <laughs> yeah, you know, America but, likes a big engine and a big vehicle. That's what you're gonna get. You're, you're, you need a Jeep, yeah. You need a Dodge Ram, yeah. You're gonna. Get yeah, they're not saying exactly which vehicles are getting it yet, um, but uh, um, you know, I think it's pretty safe to assume that anything that's got a Hemi in it right now is a likely candidate for this thing. For the hurry, yeah. I'm calling it now. It's gonna be called the hurry. <laughs> hurry up, hurry. Or they might call it the Hemi. The, the Hemi Hurricane, so they can keep the name. Because Hemi's, I mean, that's a name you don't want to give up. Yeah. I'm sure there's going to be an EV Hemi. Like, oh, I got an EV Hemi in mine. <laughs> I get the the Hemi Electric or Hemi Plus or Hemi Ion or something. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know how they're going to figure that one out. The, the, the Hemi, and the E will be blue. That's how they'll do it. Oh, just make okay. the E blue. Hemi, yeah. still a Hemi, but the E, the e is blue. Well, well, that's what they do on the 4xEs, on, like on the Grand Cherokee yeah. 4xE. Um, if you look at the badges, um, you know, if you look closely at them, you'll see that it actually looks like it's two layers, you know, so you got the, the top layer is chrome and then it, there's this like surf blue layer underneath. Um, so that, uh, you know, it gives it that little distinct touch to separate it from the other ones. Blue is the official color of electricity now. Yeah. Cause apparently it is. Yeah. I mean, the, the badges on that Toyota BZ4X, uh, blue. you know, it's all, it's all blue. <laughs> Everything's blue now. Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, the other stuff we have here, uh, we need uh, Nicole to talk about those. So we'll leave those aside for the time being. Um, let's uh, let's dive into some questions. Um, let's see. Uh, let's start with Gupta AJ. Uh, he says, "I'm not a tech bro. Can all the little computer chips in a vehicle be replaced by incorporating a PC in the vehicle?" I mean, AMD, Intel, ARM chips don't seem to be in short supply. They are. <laughs> <laughs> Everything's in short supply. I mean, it's a, you can the Nvidia, the GPUs are they're in short supply. Like you know, crypto is, has not helped that uh, situation at all. Um, but yeah, every, all the chips are in short supply. Unfortunately, every you know, you're missing a your foundry's down. Foundry's trying to catch up. They're trying to build foundries. Yeah, they can't get they, enough neon from Ukraine. Yeah, they can't get enough neon from the Ukraine. It's, there's a lot of yeah, every, yeah. All the little chips are are just there's just weird things that you probably don't ever think about that are in short supply that you wouldn't even assume are uh, have to deal with cars. 
And you're just like, oh, well, we're, I mean, the wiring harness from the UK, Ukraine for the Volkswagen Group. That's just a weird thing. But that's, that's a thing. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, it's, it's not as simple as just dropping a PC into a vehicle. Um, you know, first of all, the, uh, the thermal requirements and the power requirements and the durability requirements for all this stuff in a car. You know, if you, if you picked up your PC off your desk or picked up your laptop and stood there and shook it for a couple of hours, you know, and it just kept shaking it and then, you know, heat it to or cool it down to 40 below zero and heat it up to 120 Fahrenheit and repeat that process a couple of thousand times. Um, and then, you know, expose it to salt spray and humidity and all that stuff. Um, it probably wouldn't last very long. Yeah, yeah. Automotive grade is a huge, huge, huge thing that people don't really think about. They're like, well, we can build phones. I'm like, yeah, your phone's not automotive grade. Your phone, if your phone crashes, like, eh, no big deal. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, to, to, uh, to be fair, most of the processor chips that are in your car already are ARM chips of various types. You know, there, there's probably anywhere from 50 to 100 ARM chips in your car already if you, if you have any kind of modern vehicle. Um, you know, and, and it's, you know, a wide variety of ARM versions. You know, there's like older ARM 3, ARM 4, ARM 5 chips. There's ARM 7 stuff. And, there, you know, uh, there's all kinds of things that are in there. And, you know, now we're getting GPUs put into cars as well. You know, the, um, uh, that Lucid Air has got uh, an NVIDIA SOC in there that um, they, they haven't said specifically which one, but I'm pretty sure it's the NVIDIA Xavier which is a chip that combines like eight uh, ARM Cortex A57 cores, I think, um, and a whole bunch of uh, um, NVIDIA Pascal GPU cores um, and, a bun and a bunch of other stuff all in one chip. Um, the other problem with just putting a PC into your car is um, look at how many ports are on a typical modern PC. Yeah, you you might have two, three, four USB ports of various types, maybe an HDMI, maybe an Ethernet port. That's about it. Um, on a car, you've got you know hundreds of sensors that all need to be connected up. So you've got to have a lot of I/O, you know, connecting all this stuff uh, to, that's monitoring everything and controlling all the systems in your car. So yeah. No, you can't just stick a PC in your car. It won't. It's not that simple. Yeah, yeah. And then just writing all the software for every system on chip, and then making sure all that software talks to each other, and then having the software that like the people can use, and then making sure that it's you know it doesn't crash again. The, the not crashing part. Yeah. The not just like dying again. People are like, oh well, you know your phone. I'm like, your phone can like you know if your phone just turns off, you're like, oh okay. I've been in car like pre-production cars where the car just turns off because the system crashed. Mm -hmm. And you're just like, oh, okay, this is what happens when, you know, things aren't quite I've, ready. It, I've been there. <laughs> yeah. You, me, me, I've been in many development vehicles when bad things happen with the all, software. <laughs> Everything's like, what happened? Car just turned <laughs> off. <laughs> yeah. um, and uh, actually, um, you know, there are AMD and Intel chips in some cars already. Um, you know, Mobileye. AMD, uh, the... Um, uh, the the mod, the the refreshed Tesla Model S and Model X uh, that were launched with the Plaid, uh, the new infotainment system that's in those, is using an AMD system on a chip that is basically the same chip that's in the latest um, 
um, PlayStation, uh, Xbox, and PlayStation Five. Um, so it combines an AMD x86 CPU and uh, AMD uh, GPU cores on one die. Um, and Intel has been used for various things in vehicles for a long time. Um, not not a not a huge amount of Intel stuff, but there's there's some in there. But it's mostly mostly not ARM stuff. Not as that much find. as they should. I feel like Intel's really sort of like they're trying to get into. I mean, they've partnered with Ford and stuff, but you're just like uh, Intel when it comes to mobile and 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 vehicles. I feel like they just didn't, well back they, in the early nineties. They're, they're not they're not they're not pushing as much like Nvidia. When I the last time I went to Nvidia, they were building a brand new campus across the street because they had so much money. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, it, the um, Back in the early 90s, uh, Intel was supplying chips for the auto industry. You know, when I joined Kelsey Hayes in 1991, they were starting to work on the first applications with the ADC196, which is basically the, the, a version of the, the chip that was in the original uh, PCXT. Um, <laughs> but it was modified for, for automotive, to make it automotive grade. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, you know, Intel mostly dropped out of the auto industry later in the '90s when uh, ARM chips came along, um, kind of like they Man. did in mobile and, and other markets where they've been supplanted <sighs> by ARM. There, there was a dinner once I had with Intel, and me and another reporter, the person who was in charge of uh, mobile at Intel. This is when Intel was still trying to get into phones. Um, me and this other reporter just kept peppering this person with questions, like, "Well, why didn't you do this? And why didn't you do this?" And the person just stopped talking to us. <laughs> because it's just like he, he, the, the, I feel bad because we we're just like you know we're reporters that's our job is to ask like a lot of questions a lot of tough questions and they were they were maybe a little yeah I think that I think they just shut down because you know they were, they were these were decisions not made by this person essentially is what it came down to yeah it's like I kind of felt, I felt bad but again it's my job and it was his job to answer him <laughs> <laughs> um, let's see uh, next one from Andrew Pappas. Uh, how can dealers and manufacturers better educate salespeople? Uh, when I bought a Ford Focus, they didn't even know how to fold the rear seats flat. As cars grow exponentially in, com- in complexity, how will people learn to operate the car? That's a, that's a weird thing because the, the automaker can send videos and training and do all these things, but it really comes down to the dealership itself, like making sure that the sales staff is watching this and of course i'm sure the cell staff is pushing back why when i watching this when i could be out on the floor making money yeah and i think that's what it comes down to if i'm not out on the floor i'm not making money if i'm sitting at my desk or i'm sitting in the back room and i'm watching the video about how things work for every single car that comes in i'm i'm wasting time because yep. time is money and i think that's kind of what it comes down to yeah you know and another part of the problem as well is um uh, that uh, there tends to, you know, in sales staff, in automotive retail sales staff, there tends to be a lot of turnover. You know, people jump from one dealership to another, to another, you know, often to different brands. Um, and, you know, so they're, they're, they constantly have to learn new stuff. And, you know, they, they just want to focus on the basics, you know, get, get the basics sorted out. Um, and, you know, I mean, you would think something like folding rear seats would be pretty basic. <laughs> But you know, I, this when it seems like you know every few years when it's time to go shop for a new car, um, you know 
I am usually usually the one educating the salesperson as to what's in the car that they're trying to sell me. You know, tell, yeah. Explaining to him, you know, how these various features work. It's like, ah. Oh. Yeah, that happens. It's so frustrating. That happens with, with, with us, yeah. It's, yeah. It's, it comes down, I mean, it, we're fortunate, fortunately, you can do a lot of research on your own for the vehicles that you are very interested in. So chances are, if you're spending time researching a vehicle that you really like, you're probably going to know more than the salesperson because you, you're only looking at one car. They're looking at all the cars, plus all the used cars, plus, you know, wherever they worked before, plus their next job, which starts next week at Nissan, a Nissan dealership. And so, yeah. Yep. It's all right. Yeah. Uh, next one from uh, Bryn Berenshausen uh, asks, have any automakers looked into doing swappable or loanable batteries? Uh, not for in between every charge, but for temporary loans. I, you can buy a car with a reasonable but lower range and then rent an extended range battery for your annual road trip that gets swapped out. I know Mazda is doing a loaner vehicle program with the MX-30, uh, but that's less than ideal for people who want to be able to stick with the car they bought instead of driving something they're unfamiliar with. Could an, it could be an interesting solution to battery cell availability. Uh, not sure what the feasibility is for creating an ejectable battery, but I'm thinking dream scenario. So you're not going to have a, a quote-unquote ejectable battery, but if you go back to, what was it, 2014, I think, when Tesla demoed their battery swap system, that was exactly one of the selling points um, with that system, was you, know, you could buy a Model S with you know, the, the base-level battery package, battery setup, you know, which would be more than enough for all of your daily commuting. And then, you know, for that, uh, that weekly transcontinental road trip, uh, you could uh, go in and swap that out for the high capacity battery. Uh, and then when you get back, you, you know, get the, get your original battery back. Um, the, the problem there is more just, um, battery swapping in general. Um, most manufacturers uh, have shied away from uh, battery swapping because it adds a lot of complexity. Uh, it adds potential failure modes, especially with liquid-cooled batteries, because you've got to have not just electrical connections, but um, you know the coolant line connections. All this stuff's got to be flushed. Um, you know, it can be done. Um, Neo does it in China. Uh, it's a big part of their business. Um, they have something like 800 battery swap stations across China now. Um, and you can go, but they, they don't have smaller and larger batteries. They just have one battery size. You just and, swap it out. Yeah. And, and this, you know, this is, this is another part of the, the problem. If you want to have multiple battery sizes or, you know, if you've got different vehicles with different battery pack configurations, you know, over time, you know, you might, you know, as you design new generation vehicles, you might want to change the, the pack design. So now you've got to have swap stations that are stocking all these different kinds of batteries, and, and it starts to get really complicated really fast. Yeah. You know, if you're gonna if you're gonna stick with one format, it's great. Um, but I think you know it's really going to be fleets more than anything else, where um, where you start to get some traction with uh, battery swapping. Yeah, there's there's a startup here in the Bay Area that has a battery swap for like people who are for fleets and stuff. Yeah, Ample. So I went and watched it, and it took like ten minutes or something. And instead of the entire pack, it pulls out little individual modules and then replaces the modules. 
but it you know it's it, again it, it works it works best for fleets and i think what's the automakers like you know a lot of these batteries are built into the to the uh you know making you know making the the frames you know it's part of the frame and you're, you know you're you're adding all this complexity which means you're adding weight which means the the, the you know the the extra, you know, range you're going to get, you're going to lose on both ends, regardless of which battery pack you have. You're going to lose, you know, 10% of your, of your range because you have all this extra weight because you're having to swap. You have to have this whole mechanism for swapping. And I think once everyone hits 800 uh, kilowatt, uh, an 800 volt system, and cars can charge at 300 kilowatts, then I think that's when you're going to have, uh, you're going, it's going to be, yeah, it's the idea of swapping batteries because you're just going to pull up charge really quickly and then hopefully really quickly <laughs> yeah <laughs> um and then move on with your day all right hey uh everybody nicole just walked in uh it did she, hello she just joined hello. us how was your flight nicole um longer than it was supposed to be <laughs> <laughs> which is why i'm just joining now um yes we got a little bit delayed on our landing so other than that uh everything was peachy all right um, well, we have gone through um, a bunch of the stuff that uh, that we've been driving, and we also talked about the Lotus Electra, that Lotus's Ooh. new electric crossover, and uh, Stellantis' new Hurricane engine. Uh, but uh, tell us, what have you been driving? The most recent thing that I had to drive was the 2022 Passport, the Honda Passport All-Wheel Drive Trail Sport, because everybody has to now have some kind of trail-worthy off-roady version of a car or they're not even really making cars anymore um so i had that and of course the trim is orange because also the color that you have to use it somewhere in your design is orange or you'll call it bronze or you'll call it rusted that's also the color of off-roading um so i yeah it is but i'm right it's true right because if you look at them all that's what they're all doing so yes i had that it's got a 3.5 liter v6 a nine speed automatic it's a pretty responsive vehicle they do you know it's got all the the honda sensing it has you know the nice sort of interior it's i guess it's more like an upscale trim but they also add um some special stuff to it there's a trail sport logo on the seats um <laughs> and there, there's orange interior lighting <laughs> see more orange i'm not lying orange <laughs> Um, and they get gray wheels and sort like sort of it's it's like trim stuff that makes it look a little bit fancy pants. So, I don't so, know that so it looks more rugged. It looks more rugged. Orange is rugged. I mean, like yellow, not rugged. Orange, yeah, let's climb a mountain. Orange is rugged because it's the sunset. It's clay. It's sedimentary rock. It's all those things. Sedimentary rock. <laughs> well, I hadn't thought of that necessarily, but now I will pumpkins. think of sedimentary rock. Sometimes you're driving through a field, and there's a bunch of pumpkins just dry <laughs> right over them. And then because you're so rugged and the orange just compels you yeah. to be more rugged. Exactly. Yeah, that's exactly it. So right. this is, it is $44,090. So it's, you know, not an inexpensive vehicle, but it, it, it's, you get that, you is know, Is there Honda such quality. a thing anymore? No, there's not. You know, weirdly, I was looking something up the other day. Okay, the first ever drive program that I ever did was for the Dodge Dart almost 10 years ago to the day. Um, when they were launching that and I was looking at the pricing on that and I'm like, was that only 10 years ago? Because I don't think you could buy a scooter for that price at this point. (laughs) (laughs) So so everything's expensive. Going back to rugged orange for a moment. Have either of you watched Murderville yet? 
No. What's I've that? watched a couple episodes. I watched the one with um, the football player guy. Yeah, I think that was the second. second oh, he is episode. he is so good. They should just have him in everything. Yeah. Um, and then I think I watched the Sharon Stone one. I watched a couple of them. Um, it so, I I really like it. So 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 for those not familiar with Murderville, it's Netflix or Amazon. Netflix. Probably. Netflix. It's it's a new show that's on Netflix. Uh, stars Will Arnett as um, as a homicide detective, uh, senior senior detective, um, and. Each episode, he's paired with a different uh, celebrity trainee detective. The first episode was I didn't was know what it Conan. was called. My yeah, husband Conan was like all into it. I had no idea what it was called. I've seen a bunch of episodes. <laughs> <laughs> well, the the reason I bring this up, you talked about orange being the color of rugged. Yes. The vehicle oh. that <laughs> that Will Arnett drives. Yeah. His, his his thing that he drives around every day is an orange Dodge Rampage. Oh, that's yeah, awesome. <laughs> I saw a rampage like a few weeks ago on at, like at like Home Depot, and it was all like it was all. I was like, "Oh my god, I haven't seen one of these." It and still then exists. I start, and then I watched Murderville. I'm like, "Oh my god, Will Arnett has a horn." There it is. Yeah, we, we were watching that. My wife was looking at looking at this. What the hell is that? And I had to explain to her what what it was. See, once so upon a time. Yeah. For, so for for those of you that are a little younger, the rampage was. Uh, um, Dodge's answer to the VW Rabbit pickup in the early 80s. It was uh, a compact pickup based on the uh, Dodge Omni 024. Uh, so it was their, their little subcompact hatchback um, with a pickup bed, uh, you know, or, or what Australians would call a ute. A ute. Yeah. Kind of, kind of a mini El Camino. Yeah, that's a, good, that's a good description, a mini El Camino. Like if yeah. you're like, oh, I like El Camino, but I want it smaller. Yeah. And rugged because that one's orange. Exactly. It's, and rugged. It's, it's <laughs> clearly the more rugged version. <laughs> All right. Anything else on the passport? No, I mean, it's a neat trip level. And I mean, it's cool. And it's funny, they have the commercials for it. So here's the funny thing. They're running a lot of ads on TV for this right now. And you see the ads and it's being all rugged. And it goes through, like, it's all off-road. And my daughter's like, how, you know, could we do this off-road trail? I'm like, not really. Like, this trail by our house. I'm like, no, I don't think so. She's like, but the commercial lies. I'm like, no, the commercial has the car driving through a rather deep mud puddle on a perfectly level stretch of very dusty dirt road and through a little bit of mud. It does not have it climbing over rocks. So the commercial is spot on. (laughs) Well, to be fair, when Honda launched the Passport a couple of years ago, they did the the launch drive program out in Moab. Mm -hmm. And we, we did crawl over some rocks. Stuff. They, they weren't quite as big as the rocks that we crawled over with the Grand Cherokee last week. I was going to say, like you're, you're saying this to me that it's off-roady and crawled over rocks right after I did a Jeep program, and those guys try to flip you upside down. But so I don't. <laughs> there are levels of rocks. Yeah, there are levels, levels of rocks. Of, yeah. of I mean, they were bigger than pebbles, but smaller than these ginormous. <laughs> smaller than Jeep that rocks. We saw in, in Texas. Yeah, that should yeah. be that. That should be the the bar by which you set. When you say you drove over rocks, Jeep level rocks, or like you know Honda level rocks. What did you yeah. drive over? Yeah. <laughs> to, to be completely fair i've been to a lot I mean, whenever i get these these off-road cars i take them to an off-road park there's never yeah. anybody there in anything there's there's some forerunners there's some jeeps uh I, there's a lot of forerunners <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there's a lot of forerunners and some jeeps and that's, some jeeps. that's that's, that's yeah. essentially all these uh, and, you know forerunners and jeeps 
I think I saw I saw I saw one Bronco. It was brand new and clean, and the person was very careful. Because it's new and brand new. Yeah. No, it's it's not like until you get that. They just have to like. like just go out there and scratch the bejesus out of it on a tree branch or something, then they'll until, be all yeah, fine. Until until you have some paint damage and you hear that that steel skid plate <laughs> skid plate scraping over the boulders, you're not doing it right. Right, yeah. exactly, and, exactly. And we definitely heard that last week, but we can't. Oh my gosh, really we talk did. about that until we can't uh, talk April about how 19th. it drove. Yeah, we have we have yeah. two more weeks. We can't say how it drove. Two we weeks. can just say we drove it off road. Yeah. I know April nineteenth. It was a I long. Know. Embargo. Yeah. I've had one for a month. Ugh, crazy. All right. Um, let's stick with uh, with SUVs or, you know, sort of pseudo SUVs. Um, tell us about the Mazda CX-50. Who, me? Yeah. Uh, You're the only see. one who drove it. I'm the one who drove it? So the Mazda I mean, I can CX-50. tell you about it. It's not going to – none of it's going to be, like, you know, helpful. Invent <laughs> something about the CX-50. Okay, and I don't I, – none of the guys remember I just, like – walked into a hotel room so i have nothing open in front of me so i can give you no facts and figures so but as far as driving it so they they're billing the cx50 is is a little bit different as something again we should have levels here it's a little more rugged and off-road worthy not jeep (laughs) off-road mazda off-road but they have drive modes on this you have a sport you have um an off-road and then if you are in select terms, you also have a towing mode. It doesn't tow a whole ton, but I think, I want to say it's 3,500 pounds. I could be making that up. Um, but it, well, it's it, almost two tons. Yeah, that's almost, almost two yeah, tons. That's two yeah. tons. Yeah, you're kind of so, open yourself okay. up for that. We're sorry. Whatever. You know, it's like a ton and a half. It's four o'clock a ton, in the morning. Um, a ton and three quarters. <laughs> a ton and three quarters. A ton and three quarters. But so you, they, they had us, they did have us drive off road, which is kind of like this, like breaks your head a little bit because you're like Mazda. What happened to my little Miata? Like now I'm taking it in the dirt. And it was like, it's not something you're really going to do anything rugged off-roading in, but it like it took you into the dirt. It, we went up some sort of grassy, dirt-ish hills that, you know, there were some little potholy situations there that they made it so it was a little bit more challenging. They had us do a, a not super high speed, but driving a little bit faster, sort of on a loop on this dirt area um, so that we could get a feel for it. And can you, can you off-road in it? Very lightly, yes. Is it a more capable Mazda if you're going to drive in the dirt? Than other Mazdas, definitely. I mean, they did change how the torque distributes between the wheels. So it's not like they have these drive modes that do, when you push that off-road button, it adjusts 15 different systems within the vehicle. It just really pretty much just adjusts how the torque is distributed to try to keep your wheels from slipping and keep the traction where you're going to want it when you have maybe one wheel popped in the air a little bit because you're on uneven trade. I don't know how many people are going to pop one wheel in the air <laughs> in a Mazda, but if you did... <laughs> Um, so, so can it handle Honda Honda rocks? I mean, obviously, it, I don't think I feel like Jeep it, rocks. I feel like it could not handle Jeep rocks. I feel like it could have handled. I, I don't feel like it could handle really rocks. Could it, it could handle Honda dirt? It could handle <laughs> Honda mud. Um, it could handle Honda very tall grass. Um, it, I mean, it's not. I mean, it's. I don't want to say it's just so hard because literally, I did these like that back to back with Jeep, and it's there's. It's not really an off-road vehicle, but if you're going to be driving on stuff that's a little bit more rugged, maybe you want to drive right to, you know, off-road to your cabin or to the lake house, or you're getting out there because you're mountain biking or something, and you want to be able to drive a little bit off the beaten path, but there's still maybe a little path, then 
you're okay. And it, and it, you know, it was, it still does all that and delivers the sort of Mazda experience was it, it's a premium vehicle. They said, how do they say it? They said they were pushing towards, they didn't say being a luxury brand. I believe they said a premium brand. And when they were put on the spot about it, they said, you know, like, wait, are you sort of saying you, you were not just a regular run of the mill, you know, automaker, you're really trying to go towards luxury. And they're like premium brand. Yes, we are pushing to that, but we are not forgetting that not everybody who buys a Mazda is looking for what would have been like their signature trim in most of their lineup. Not everybody wants the leather seats and the really wood trims and the fancy interiors. Like they're going to remember that there's still a range of customers who buy Mazdas. So they're not going to like shut out people who are buying base trims. Um, And they had, I just forgot the name of it, Meridian. Uh, They have a top. audio system. No, it's not the audio system. It's the top. They have a trim that's a, like the off. It, it gets a package like the Trail Sport. There's like an, one that has more of like an off-roady kind of look to it. They did not have that one there for us to drive, unfortunately. But oh, that one got yeah. Meridian Edition. So you're right. It is Meridian. Okay, yes. that's what I thought. So the Meridian Edition, and they, which is going to, I think, be mostly about looks. I don't know how much actual content there is to make that one any better, but. Um, that one was something that we didn't have, unfortunately. We did not have that one to try out, which was like, wah, wah, we're on an off-road thing. Give us that one. But it also has late arrival, and they didn't have pricing on it. So it's kind of a, a little bit of a question mark as to when and how much it'll cost. And, yeah, so that one's sort of like a little a little mystery that we'll have to wait to reveal in the coming months. Okay. So while we're still with CX-50, one yes. of the questions we had from Bren Berenshausen um, was um, related to CX-50. Uh, he tweeted and um, retweeted a, or linked a, um, a video that a Canadian journalist, I think, posted uh, in the CX-50, a TikTok video. Um, apparently, the CX-50 now has a touchscreen. Um, oh, yes. <laughs> okay, that's a big deal. And here's the weirdness. So they're going through the thing and they're like <laughs> talking about it. I'm like, yeah, you know, and the touchscreen that works for it. And we're all just like, wait, I'm sorry, what? Touchscreen? Do we just hear those words come out of your mouth? You're Mazda, right? It's a touchscreen, but only when you're using Apple CarPlay and Android Auto, and only if you enable the touchscreen in the settings. So only when you're using those apps. If you leave that native app, no touchscreen. And they said the reason they did it was because both of those apps are optimized for touchscreen. The way that the buttons are arranged and the sizes of the buttons and the style of it, it doesn't work as well with their rotary dial controller. And I thought, my first thought obviously was, huzzah, some touchscreen functionality in a Mazda. But oddly, it's almost more confusing now because you have that moment of like, you'll, you'll go to touch it then and you're no longer using that. It's like, wait, no. I wait, ah, like you don't know what to do. Like, do you I got mode screen? confusion. Yeah, you're like, uh, I don't know which direction to go. So it works beautifully. I mean, it, it does do what it's supposed to do. You can now use that as a touchscreen using those two, you know, Apple CarPlay or Android Auto. But it does make you a little bit confused. Your brain's like, what? Wait, no, this is just this is not that. I have to reach. Where's the controller? So it's it's. I guess it's a good happy medium, but also one that causes a little additional confusion. <laughs> So, well, Bryn's question was, are they going to put that um, in all Mazdas or is it just the CX-50 right now? Um, I can't remember if that question was directly asked. Something tells me that I felt like it was something that may have been rolling out, but I can't confirm that for sure. Um, I mean, it would just, I would imagine. I'll reach out to Mazda and and ask them. I'm sorry, I don't have that at the ready. Sorry, Bryn. 
No worries. Um, okay. Um, another thing that you and I both drove um, last in the last episode I put together, um, we had our segment where we talked about the C40, but we never did. Um, we forgot to talk about the XC, XC60 recharge that we drove okay. the day before the C40. Yes. Uh, so, so the XC60, you know, has been around for a while. Um, and they've had the, the plug-in hybrid recharge. For 2022, they've upgraded it with more battery capacity and a more powerful electric motor on the rear axle. It's up to 147 horsepower. And um, so now the range has gone, the electric driving range has gone from 19 to 35 miles on the EPA test. Um, what, did, what did you think of the XC60? I mean, we had a really brief drive in it. It wasn't very long that we had. It was sort of like when we landed at the airport to kind of like a little loop-de-loop and back again. Um, I thought it was, I, I, I don't, I didn't notice some, this gigantic difference. You know, I don't think, uh, to me, I, I liked it before. I liked it now, but I didn't walk away thinking, oh, wow, now it's like way cooler. I feel like the yeah, I mean, XC60, like the XC90 is great. The XC40 is great. The XC60 was just sort of good. And I think mm-hmm. they've they've tweaked it enough where it's much it's better. I don't yeah. think it's on the level as the ninety or the forty yet, but it's like the best selling one. So it's like the they, they, they these really great ones, and then they have a good one. But the good one's the one they sell a lot of. <laughs> we got lost around the airport yeah. in Belgium when that <laughs> the XC. Oh, did you? Yeah, with the recharge. <laughs> yeah, I think to to me, I think that you know the sixty series is more the you know it's the sweet spot for me. You know, it's the right size. I find the 90s, I like the 90s, but I find them to be a little too big, um, and bigger than I would want for myself. Yeah. Um, you know, and, you know, the 40s, will, you know, it, it's, a, it's a good size, too, but I like the size of the 60s. My, my personal favorite is the V60 wagon. But, um, you know. Yeah, I, I, V60 wagon is dope. Yeah, I've, I've driven the XC60 plug-in hybrid uh, before, but never driving it up any mountains and, you know, we did that with this one. We drove from Palm Springs up to the Coachella Valley Vista Point. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it had no problem at all, you know, with 147 uh, horsepower on the rear axle. It had plenty of power for driving pure electric, you know, up the mountain, you know, going through the curves and everything. Um, so, you know, the and that's like 50 horsepower more than it had before from the electric motor. So, I, you know, I thought that that was good. But one of the one of the questions that we had... Uh, was um, let's see from uh, from Daryl uh, on Twitter <clears throat> says why can't cloth be a good option in luxury vehicles? It's popular on performance vehicles. I'd much rather have a nice patterned cloth than base leather or whatever tech substitute. Uh, and so I thought this was a good fit here because one of the the new features on the XC60 for 2022 is this new wool um, wool cloth upholstery. That they have on the seats. Did you drive one with the wool, with the wool or the leather? I can't remember if I drove it or just ended up looking at it, but I I saw the material that you're talking about, and I I actually really like it. I think it looks great. I, like from a point of view of like, oh, you have to have leather or some kind of fancy schmancy synthetic leather for it to be luxury. I think it just needs to be something that has some character and has some personality to it, and just doesn't look like really super cheap fabric and. That wool is actually kind of cool looking. Yeah, I mean, if if it was me, I'd probably choose the wool. I like the way it felt and the way it looked. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it was a, a lighter gray wool um, that they had in there. I probably wouldn't go with the wool if I had young kids or no. I was hauling the dog around uh, in there. Uh, 
that's why I wouldn't go with the fabric interior because if you spill something, even your coffee, if you're a grown up and have no kids, you spill it on fabric, no matter how dark it is, it does get into the fabric. You spill it on synthetic leather or leather, you can probably wipe it off and save it. You know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. you can clean it. You can't cleaning fabric seats is a pain in the butt. <laughs> yeah. So, so the answer to Daryl's question is cloth can be a good option in luxury vehicles. It's available in, in some. Um, it's out there. You just got to find it. You just yep. got to find the right vehicles. Um, all right. Let's, uh, let's finish up the last few questions here. Uh, let's see. We talked about the touch, Mazda touchscreens. Um, we talked about the battery swapping. Uh, oh, Fritalin Coke. Uh, hopefully, hopefully I'm not mangling that too much. It says, um, have you ever seen or driven an Audi A2 or an NSU R080 in the U.S.? I think both cars were really ahead of their time, but not a success commercially. Automakers nowadays don't seem to be willing to take such risks anymore. So the NSU R080 was, that was from what, the 60s, I think. Uh, and you know, NSU was you know, one of the, uh, the brands that got folded into Audi. Um, and the R080 was a rotary-powered car that they had. Uh, back in the 60s. Uh, the, and the A2 was, I think, 90s, early 2000s. Uh, a subcompact Audi. Um, had you know, an aluminum space frame, very lightweight. Um, it, have either of you ever driven any of those? That'd be uh, a no from me. Nope. No, sadly no. Yeah, I, I have not either. Um, the uh, The... the there's uh, the A2 was never brought over here. I think there are some NSUs in the U.S. You know, some I don't know that they were ever imported, uh, officially imported. But you know, the, obviously people have brought them over, and I've yeah. seen I've seen some NSUs at car shows, but I've never driven either one of these. I think in a couple of years we'll be able to get some A2s over here because the 25 year yeah thing, but. You know, Americans, it's it's weird with with small cars in America. Like, well, yep. no one buys yeah. small cars, and then there's the Mini, right. and that did really well. And you're just like, I, what? All right. <laughs> uh, David Wengier, uh, or Wengier, I'm sorry if I mispronounced that as well. Uh, asks and says, uh, talk me out of a Ford Escape PHEV. Is EV only <laughs> mode 99 percent of the time possible, or will it feel underpowered? Will it start the gas engine occasionally to keep things from deteriorating? Um, we do one or two road trips a year, but other than that, uh, trips are less than 20 miles a day. I, I'm going to, okay, so I've said this before. The, the Ford Escape is like Applebee's. It's the Applebee's of cars. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't know anyone who's like, yeah, let's go to Applebee's. It's just like, oh, well, there's an Applebee's. Um, <laughs> it's not going to make you sick. It's food. <laughs> Um, the the Ford Escape P have is you might is want to watch fine, out for the salad though. Yeah, yeah don't get yeah. Get you should never get a salad from like a chain restaurant. Also, no, nope. that's, that's always never. a bad scene. Um, but the Ford Escape P have it's fine. It's just it's just sort of there. It's it you know it drives well. It's it's okay. I will say that like when I drove uh, the P have I like on after hours behind the wheel, my back kind of hurts. Really. Yeah, yeah, it was. It gave me back pain. Um, oh, that's not good. Yeah, but that's again. That is me. You should drive the vehicle and see how you feel 
Yes. Everybody's you know, body's different. I'm, I, I have a long, I have a you know long legs and a weird you know long torso. And In case I have like mentioned. really long he's arms, a, I'm essentially a like a spider. <laughs> when you really think <laughs> a about <spider>. it. <laughs> um, so yeah, so there's yeah, so there's there's that. But um, you know, I I don't want to talk you out of buying if he had if you can get one. Now. I don't think I could talk someone. I, I mean, like, I wouldn't talk it's you not a out horrible, of it. It's not a horrible car. It drives well. The transition right. from EV to gas is fine. It's just sort of, huh. <laughs> again, it's the Applebee's of cars. You know, I mean, you're not going to get sick at Applebee's. Yeah. And I'm sure there's but, food I mean, to, there. To, to answer the basic question, you know, if you're driving less than 20 miles a day, yeah, you can do 99% of your driving on electricity alone. Yep. You can get, I, I got 42 miles on electricity on my usual EV drive loop. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it's not going to be, you know, hugely powerful, but it's it's more than adequate for, you know, for daily driving, especially around town. Around yeah. town driving, you'll have plenty, you'll have more than enough torque because it, it's, there's not a lot of power, but there's plenty of torque from the electric motor. It's fine. That's what, yeah. that's a... <laughs> it's so, fine. Or an escape you have. It's, it's fine. fine. You're not going to be, it, like, super disappointed that you bought the Ford Escape. No, PDF. that's just yeah. it. It's like, and if you don't drive that much and you don't care about it, like, if you don't mind Applebee's, I mean, you'll be okay. It's if you don't want Applebee's, fine. don't go to Applebee's. But I don't think I can yeah. talk you out of Applebee's. If that's what you're considering, I can't hate on it. Yeah. I mean, I yeah. could hate on Applebee's, but still, I couldn't hate on the Ford PHEV. Yeah, it's yeah. Yeah, it's not a bad car. It's just, it's fine. Yeah. yeah. It's fine. Um, yeah. Any it's any fine. any plug-in hybrid will periodically run the engine, you know, just to cycle fluids, you know, yes. keep, keep things yeah. from deteriorating, and also to to consume the gas in the tank. In in general, most of them are designed, you know, to run a maintenance mode that will consume, you know, the volume of gasoline in the tank over the course of about a year. Yeah. Um. You know, you don't want to leave gas sitting in the in the tank. You don't you know, want old more, gas. Yeah. My brother, yeah. my brother's uh, Chevy Volt with a V, um, because during during COVID and lockdown and everything, he wasn't driving anywhere. And at one point, the car was just like, you know what? We're going all gas because all your yeah. all, all your gas yeah. is old. <laughs> That's funny. You haven't driven enough, so we're going to run this gas out before you get to go back to EV mode. That's yeah. <laughs> all right. Mike Enos asks, uh, any recommendations or best practices for charging an EV at home other than finding an elect- uh, a licensed electrician? So, yes, absolutely get a licensed electrician. Do not do uh-huh. this on your own. Don't do it yourself. Uh, un- unless, of course, you happen to be a licensed electrician, in which case, have at it. Yes. Um, but uh, any other recommendations? Uh, Robbie, you're the EV owner. Yeah, I just I just had this done, actually. Um, I, I called a licensed electrician. <laughs> they came out, and they put it in. And then yesterday, the uh, city came out, and they inspected it and made sure that my house won't burn down. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that is, that is definitely, I know it's, it's, it's gonna, it costs more because you get a licensed electrician and it's going to cost you more money. You know, there was like $400 just for them to do all the drawings and the wirings and all the permitting. And then the be here at my house when the person shows up and I was just like, all right, yeah. So my house won't burn down and they're bonded and licensed and all that mm-hmm. jazz. So if, you know, things go haywire, yeah, it's, it's. When it comes to your house and wiring, like I don't want my house to burn down. Those yeah. that's that's where yeah. Nobody someone wants if that. I, yeah, I know gotta... I have a guy who will, who will build my fence, and I have a guy who will do the <laughs> landscaping, and I have a guy who will, like trim the trees, and I'm just like yeah, that's fine. But I like when it comes down to like those guys could do the wiring, but 
No. And we, when we got our plug-in, we hired an electrician. He came out. He put a charger in the house. He did the permits. We paid him money. House not burning down. It was worth it. <laughs> Thumbs up to a house Thumbs still up. standing. Do, do, you, do you both have your, your chargers uh, inside the garage or on the outside of the house? Mine is on the outside um, just because uh, we do, you know, I get a lot of review vehicles. We park the cars outside. I, I keep buying uh, tools. I have every saw now. You you need a saw. You come to my. You need something cut. I got a table saw. I got a circular saw. I got a jigsaw. I got all the saws now. <laughs> so because of that, I got you know the the miter saw. I got everything. They take up a lot of space in the garage. So the it, before we were like, oh, we're just gonna move this stuff, and then we'll eventually put the car in the garage. And now it's just like, eh. We've we've become the people who just the 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 garage is now just the project land, and the cars park are parked outside. But we can we put three ours. cars in our driveway. We put ours in the garage just because, I mean, normally it's honestly the car's parked outside and the cable just goes outside the garage because we've got a really long cable for it, or like cords so we can plug it in. But um, if it snows, because I'm in New England, I don't want to have to leave the car outside and uh, clean off the car yeah. when you get those like weird dumping snowstorms, then I can definitely park it inside. So it was mostly for that, just so that in the winter... Like, I really hate clearing snow off a car in the winter, and I want to be able to park in the garage. So Yeah, if I, if I lived in snow, I would definitely do that. But I Yeah. Don't. Yeah, I, I, have, I have a licensed electrician coming on Monday to install a 240-volt outlet in my garage. There you uh, go. And I, I'm, I'm putting it on the inside, just inside the garage door. So yep. that when I have plug-in vehicles to test, yeah, I'll just run the, the cord outside to the driveway. Uh, yep. And then someday in the future when, you know, uh, when we have an EV of our own, then you know I'll have it in the garage, um, but one you know as far as other best practices you know just in terms of actually charging your EV, um, take advantage of you know the fact that you can you know pretty much every EV I've ever seen you can schedule when you want it to charge, um, so that you can take advantage of uh, low interest or uh, low off peak um, electricity rates you know usually after like you know nine or ten o'clock night you know until early morning um, you know so cost you less um in some cases um depending on where you are you may want to consider uh you know check with your local utility um it may be worthwhile for you to get a, a separate meter installed uh for uh for your charger because sometimes they have special rates uh special electricity rates for evs uh but you to do to take advantage of that you've got to have a dedicated meter for that outlet that you're where you're charging the ev uh, and that can that can save you quite a bit of money as well um, and then, you know, when you use the scheduling, you know, when you get home, you just plug in the car um, and you don't have to, you know, plan when it's going to charge. It'll just, you know, it'll you just plug it on. in and it'll start charging at whatever right. time is set. Yeah, I'm, I'm reviewing three charge boxes right now. I'm doing the, the juice box, the one from uh, Electri America and the charge point box. And uh, on those, what you do is you, you, you schedule it within the box. And then you have a little app, and it tells you like when it starts charging, and it's uh it's pretty nice. Um, and yeah, we we also set up a tier. Our our rate is based on having an EV. We had to put our VIN number. We had to give our our utility the VIN number and everything. Mm. So yeah, so at midnight, from midnight to like noon, is like the least expensive. Uh, and so we just plug the car in, and but you know we most of the time the car's charged. My wife will plug it in, um, and then 20 minutes later it's charged. Yeah, because yeah, we're doing we're we're pushing about nine kilowatts now per hour. Okay. 
Um, finally, uh, Brianna Wu asks, do you think Ferrari prices will ever come back to earth or is today the best price I'll ever see on one? I think everything's going to come down. I mean, it's eventually, yeah, it's a boom market. And the, and at some point, every bubble eventually bursts, every bubble eventually bursts. And I feel like, you know, someone, a friend of mine was like looking at a Bronco and I'm like, you have a car, you don't need a car. Wait two years. Right. Right now. Everything is incredibly inflated. If you're going to sell a car, man, you should be selling that thing now. Right. If you are uh, going to buy assuming a Assuming you don't actually need it to get around. Yeah, as long as you don't need it to get around. If you have an extra one. If you have an extra one, just lying just about. Just chilling in the garage, just hanging chilling out. in the garage, you could sell it. If you're going to – I just – now, like, buying anything, if you can help it, don't. Um, I, yeah. For, I think the Ferrari prices will probably come back down at some point. Um, I think there's. They'll probably never be cheap. But yeah, it's never yeah. going to be cheap. It's like it's like it's like nine eleven prices. I think nine eleven prices are going to come back down, but it's still going to cost a nine eleven. It's still a nine eleven. You know, it's, it will be less than what it is now, but it's still not going to be the price of a Prius. Yeah, <laughs> eventually, people will stop paying one hundred and twenty thousand dollars for Acura Integras. Exactly. We'll be able to get an Acura Integra for for a lot less money. Hope. I think someone was showing off like Model A's and stuff, like hot rods, and like the prices on those are just like cratering because no really? one wants them anymore. Because that, wow. that whole that that generation that liked those cars are just like now they're you know they're hit they're in their seventies and eighties. They're like, well, I'm not going to go buy a project car. I'm yeah. I'm not even buying green bananas right now. Why would I buy a project car? <laughs> <laughs> Don't want to wait around for them to ripen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So and then like everyone like the Gen X people who are buying up all the Radwood stuff for insane amounts of money, yeah. You know, they'll, we'll we'll get older and then you'll those, be. You those know, are the hundred and twenty thousand dollar integrity. Yeah, exactly. Like once once you know once I'm in my seventies, you'll be able to get a CR you know CRX for like twenty thousand or fifteen thousand dollars again. <laughs> some yeah. some ridiculously cheap uh, five thousand dollars for a CRX. <laughs> All right. Well, that's all we've got for this week. Um, thanks for uh, uh, hopping in there, Nicole. Yeah, sure. And uh, we will talk to you all next time. Bye. 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 Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. This is your invitation to a masterclass in engineering and design. Your ticket to go from zero to 60 with the Lexus Performance Line. A feeling this dynamic is invite only. Fortunately, you're invited. Experience the exhilaration of the Lexus Performance Line and some of the best offers of the year on select models at the Invitation to Lexus sales event, now through April 1st. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer.